By the time I came to Substack at the start of 2021, I'd been covering, as one editor once put it, the stories that make people cry for nearly 20 years. I'd reported from places like an impoverished village in the Democratic Republic of Congo and sun-baked Syrian refugee camps. I'd spent a few years in the 2000s at the New York Times reporting on the deeply personal horrors of 9-11. While stories of trauma fascinated me and deserved telling, I was never sure how many people wanted to read them. It seemed like I'd develop a core readership, but it was limited. Then, my second stint at the Times ended last year in my very public firing, and I became infamous. It was brutal. People sent death threats and abuse my way every day for months. But something pretty great came out of the nightmare, too. I started hearing from new readers of my work, thanking me for writing about the really hard-to-cover stuff. Still, they had questions. Why hadn't they heard about this or that atrocity before? Honestly, I did not know. I'd written big stories involving war crimes and violations of international human rights in The Guardian, The Atlantic, and so on. I wondered whether to blame the outlets because they didn't position my stories high enough, or the readers because they'd avoided clicking on the hard-to-digest stories. Eventually, I landed on a third answer. While I don't let the outlets and readers entirely off the hook, I realized that I deserved a good portion of the blame, too. You can't just sling pain at people nonstop and expect them to stomach it over and over. In a time of deep mistrust of journalism, you can't expect readers to understand why this kind of work is critical and how it is constructed differently from political and other kinds of reporting. How can anyone understand the difficult ethical choices involved in such work, or why they should care, if we as journalists don't bother to make that kind of explication part of what we do? That's how I found my mission on Substack. I realized that the platform was a gift to me as a writer and to readers. If I started to, if I used it to start offering more than is usually possible in traditional media. For the kind of journalism I do, that meant that I suddenly had a space to go behind the scenes to show readers that even if they can't relate to the people I write about at first, they can relate to me as the, as the storyteller. They can see what happened as I experienced it. I could show the process of gathering information, how I'd put it together in certain ways, and why. I set about writing what became a 12-part series looking behind the curtain of the seven years I spent reporting on that village in Congo and the nearly 50 little girls raped there. I answered questions I've been asked many times over the years, things like, how did you get your story idea? How did you stay safe? Who paid for everything? How did you get vulnerable people to talk to you? How did you protect them? And for me, one of the most important questions, how did you navigate so many different ethical decisions in making this story? For instance, I was able to write a post about the time the Congolese intelligence service detained me in my fixer. It was a story I hadn't found a place to tell anywhere else, but showed some of the inherent danger in working in corrupt places and the vast difference between my getting in trouble versus my local fixer, who is always going to be in a much more precarious situation. I was also able to write a post about the fact that $10 nearly derailed my entire investigation, showing not only the complications of negotiating interviews with sources, but how much it meant that the women I spoke to were willing to take a day off in which they would normally earn a desperately needed single dollar. In the course of offering these answers, I had a chance to retell what had been done to the girls in a new way, one that would attract new and different readers. 
their story and the landmark decision that brought them justice would spread even farther. Being a journalist means that you are a kind of interpreter, and I decided that the translation of the kinds of painful stories I tell could be much clearer with this added insider element. I've been able to write posts that interpret my reporting in Ukraine in ways I can only refer to in stories I'd published in traditional media outlets. I explained the complexities involved using found Russian documents and how they could transform from detritus left behind to evidence used in war crimes trials. And in another post, I was able to use my many years of reporting on sexualized violence in conflict to put what I've been learning about rape in Ukraine into the historical context of war crimes prosecutions and how such crimes can be considered part of the Russians' genocidal intent. Usually, I end up writing about the things that just won't get out of my mind. They'll sort of tickle for days or weeks at a time until I decide they need more reporting. Sometimes that means my other posts will allow a more nebulous idea I've had floating around my head to finally solidify, as they did when I set around about writing this piece about the everyday sexism of being a woman war correspondent, or this one, which got at the core of what had drawn me to report in Ukraine. Why were there so many strange echoes with the Holocaust and anti-Semitism in this present day conflict? I've written many, many posts with this kind of x-ray view, which offers readers insight from experts and my on-the-ground reporting, but with the kind of inside-out, glass-bottom boat approach that translates well in first-person writing. In a similar attempt at transparency, I posted a series asking journalists I admire why they believe in journalism. People like Margaret Sullivan, the former Washington Post media critic, and Adam Pennenberg, the founding director of NYU's American Journalism online master's program, generously contributed. As a journalist, I want to facilitate a renewed trust in what we do, to explain that we are not a force of manipulation, that journalists are not the same as pundits, but rather that the media is an institution for the public good. If that means breaking down huge and harrowing stories or experiences and explaining piece by piece how important traumatic stories are made and why people should care about them, even when they are hard to read, then I'm happy to keep doing that. I hope others will join me.